If you'd open your copy of God's Word this morning, please, to the Gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke chapter 18, as we continue our series pondering the parables. Luke chapter 18, we're reading there in just a moment. Uh, Someone has said that we do our best praying when the I, me, and mind have worked their way out of the way. Think about that. We do our best praying when the I, me, and mind have worked their way out of the way. And today I want to talk with you about our prayer lives. And I want to do so by looking at a parable that Jesus told about two men who went up to the temple to pray. And you'll find the story, of course, in the Gospel of Luke, the 18th chapter. And we'll begin reading there at verse 19. Luke chapter 18, verse 9, rather. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And we'll read down through verse 14. Jesus tells this story. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 9. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, beloved, here we have two men and two prayers and two outcomes. Now, you realize if you really want to get to know someone in life, if you really want to get to know them beyond just, hey, how are you? And, and just kind of you know talking briefly after the service. If you really want to get to know them, all you have to do is go on a long road trip with them, right? Get in the car or truck and go a long distance with that person. And it's amazing what you can find out about each other, isn't it? And sometimes you might be surprised what you may find out about the other person. Well, you know, we can tell a lot about a person also by listening to their prayers. Now, I know that people can put on a show when they're praying. And uh, they can wax eloquent. But but take and get somebody by themselves or in a group of two or three and listen to their heart as they talk to the Lord. Is that maybe they drop their errors and they drop those things and they cry out to the Lord. And here in this passage, we get the opportunity to see and hear two men praying. And we get to hear what they say in their prayer. The one man was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. Really the two extremes of their day, the two extremes of their culture. Now, the one man was revered by the Jewish people and the other was hated by the Jewish people. I told you before, and you read the parables, don't read our culture into theirs. Don't read our time into theirs. Today, if we've been in church any amount of time, we don't think too much We don't think too highly about the Pharisees. Why? Because we've studied the Bible and we've seen what Jesus had to say about the Pharisees. We've seen how the Pharisees thought about Jesus and what they did. And so we think about Pharisees. We kind of say, oh, Pharisees. But back in their day, the Pharisees were revered and they were respected and they were somebody in their society. But the tax collectors, on the other hand, were hated. Why? Because these tax collectors, the one talked about here, these were the kind of Jews who had basically sold out. 
They were Jews who were busy collecting taxes for Rome. And sad to say, many of them were crooked. And they were looked upon and hated. They were looked upon as traitors. And so Jesus tells this story right after he tells the story about the persistent widow. You know, the persistent widow who went to the judge, avenge me, avenge me, avenge me. And it talks about persistence in praying. And we talked about persistence in praying. We studied the passage about the neighbor going and knocking for bread, ask, seek and knock. So he tells the story about the persistent widow. Be persistent in your praying. And then he sticks with the same theme of prayer. And he speaks on this idea of some folks who were trusting in themselves. Look at verse 11 there again. Uh, if you will, in your scripture, it says he's or excuse me, uh, verse nine. And he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. You can read into that. They were self righteous uh, and they were not only self righteous because they were self righteous. They despised other people. And so we want to spend some time this morning listening to their prayers and learning from their prayers. So we want to spend some time listening today. And first of all, we want to listen to the Pharisee in verses 11 and 12. Listen to the Pharisee in verses 11 and 12. Now, by the way, both of these men, you see, they stand to pray. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with standing to pray. Both men did it. Uh, it was a common practice in their day. It's a pro- common practice even for our day. So the problem was not with his posture as we read this. The problem was with his pride. It's not a posture problem. It's a pride problem. Look at verse 11 again. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Now, notice his prayer. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Now, I think you see right away the way the scripture renders it there. There's a problem because it says he stood and prayed thus with himself. He prayed with himself. He addresses God. He says God. But then he moves to his favorite subject himself. And he turns his attention away from God to himself. Five times here he uses the personal pronoun I. I. I, I, I. He also had an eye problem like the other person we studied uh, in one of the previous parables. Now, he started off pretty good. See the opening of his prayer. God, I thank you. That's a good way to start your prayer. God, I thank you. God, I thank you. But then he went downhill very quickly. He is not thanking God that God has forgiven him. He's not thanking God that he's been kept from sin. He's not thanking God that God has worked in his life. He's basically telling God how great a guy he is. He almost says in his prayer this, God, you are so blessed to have me. You're so well off because I am your follower. I'm not like these other sinners. I'm not like these other men, these swindlers and these evildoers and these adulterers and this tax collector over there. I'm not like them. I wonder if his parents taught him the blessing quite differently than mine taught me. Maybe they prayed at their house this way. I am great and I am good. God, did you know I can grow my food by my hands? I'm always fed. I've already made my daily bread. Amen. A little bit different than I learned. How about you? He's focused upon himself. God, I'm somebody and you're blessed to have me. And if truth be known, he probably did live this way. He probably did fast twice a week. He probably did tithe upon everything. He was probably 
uh, scrupulously honest. In fact, he's the type of person that we would want for a church member, isn't he? Think about it. He's a tither. He's fast. He's honest. He's faithful. He's here all the time. But pride had blinded him to his true condition. He was so filled with self-righteousness, there was no room for Christ's righteousness. And he needed, beloved, his eyes open to the truth. Old J.C. Ryle said, the true cure for self-righteousness is self-knowledge. The cure for self-righteousness is self-knowledge. He says, once let the eyes of our understanding be opened by the Spirit, and we shall talk no more about our own goodness. Once let us see what there is in our own hearts and what the holy law of God requires and self-conceit will die. We shall lay our hand upon our mouths and cry with the leper, unclean, unclean. If we could really see ourselves as we are outside of Christ. But he was too busy looking at himself and congratulating himself and, and telling God what a great guy he was. But what about us? Have we come into an end of ourselves? Have we seen that we're undone, we're unrighteous, we're unclean, we're vile, we're wretched, we're in need of a Savior? And what about our prayers? Do our prayers focus upon our goodness or God's goodness? Do they exalt us or do they exalt Him? This is strong, but it hit me so hard as I read it this past week. Douglas Byer talks about just how self-righteous we can sound. He talked about racial Pharisees where people say, thank God, I'm not like that group of people or or that group of people over there. He said there are social Pharisees that say, thank God, I'm not like those chiseling welfare freeloaders. There are intellectual Pharisees who say, thank God, I'm not like those dull, uneducated laborers. There are charismatic Pharisees who say, thank God, I'm not like those spiritually dead Christians who don't speak in tongues that go to Red Hill Baptist Church. Well, I added that part. He says there are even pagan Pharisees who say, thank God I'm not like those sanctimonious Christians who attend church. Do you realize, beloved, how quickly our prayers and our talk can end up just like the Pharisees? God, I thank you that I'm not like those people. Thank you I'm not like those. Well, the Pharisee prays. We hear his prayer. We listen to it. Now, let's spend a few moments Listening to the tax collector there in verse 13, his prayer is short. It's only seven words in English. I think it's six in Greek. Look at verse 13, the tax collector standing afar off. He didn't draw too close to the temple area. Standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. They both stood to pray, but the tax collector stood afar off. He would not even lift his eyes to heaven. We see in his posture, beloved, we see in his body, his actions, humility. We see brokenness. We see a realization of his true condition. And he beats his chest as he's there and he's afar off. And he's looking, God, be merciful to be a sinner. And he cries out this simple prayer. And you notice that when he mentions himself, he only mentions himself as a sinner. A sinner in need of mercy. And he prays for mercy. Now that phrase, be merciful, to be honest with you, 
or have mercy on is very rich in the Greek language. You know, the New Testament is written in Greek. We have an English translation and you don't quite catch what he's saying in our English Bible. But I want you to listen. Boyce said the word translated have mercy on, have mercy on me is the verb form of the word for the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant in the Jewish temple. Therefore, you could literally translate it this way. It'd be awkward, but here's what you could you could translate this. He would be praying, God, be mercy seated toward me. Or treat me as one who comes on the basis of the blood shed on the mercy seat as an offering for sins. Do you remember the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament? I don't, I don't know where the, the boys and girls are in the gospel project. They're, they're kind of studying from the beginning through. But when you get into the, the tabernacle, and you get into the temple, there was that golden covered box that had the, the angels on the cover. And it was placed in the most holy place of the Holy of Holies. And only once a year, the high priest would go into that most holy place of the Holy of Holies and he would sprinkle blood from an animal sacrifice on that mercy seat. And you remember, there's only a few things in the Ark of the Covenant, only a few things in the Ark of the Covenant. There was Aaron's rod that bloomed. There was a bowl of manna. And there were the tablets that Moses received, the law that Moses received. And so those things are in the Ark of the Covenant. It's covered by the mercy seat with those two angels. Once a year, the high priest goes in and sprinkles blood on that place from an animal sacrifice. And what a picture now. The tax collector here is basically pleading the blood. He's saying, God, be merciful. Be mercy seated. Remember the blood that sprinkled on the mercy seat toward me. Think about that. You have the law of God in that, that Ark of the Covenant. And then you have the wrath of God here against man's sin. But in between, there's the blood. And he's crying and pleading the blood. Be merciful to me. And of course, all those bloody sacrifices that we read about in the Old Testament ultimately pointed toward the Lamb of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. The one slain once for all. I'm so glad Aren't you that we're not living like they had to live back then? You didn't bring an animal today that we had to sacrifice for the blood. Why? Because Jesus Christ has died once for all. And this tax collector, he pleads the blood. He cries out about the blood on the mercy seat. He realized there was no hope in himself. That he was undone and he cries out for God's mercy. And it's a reminder to us today, beloved, that we come... To God and salvation only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And if you're going to come to Jesus Christ, you must come by way of the cross. You must come through the blood. You must be uh, uh, have his mercy uh, imputed, his righteousness imputed to you. And so we come to God in salvation only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we also remind you here, beloved, that we come to the throne of grace and prayer only through the authority of Jesus Christ. We don't come to God through our righteousness or through our authority. We come based on his righteousness and his authority. The focus is never us. The focus is always him. Which brings us to the third person we're listening to this morning. We've listened to the Pharisee. We've listened to the tax collector. Now, finally, let's listen to Jesus there in verse 14. Listen to Jesus. And by the way, that's always good advice, isn't it? When you tell somebody to listen to Jesus. 
Can I say to all you graduates today, listen to Jesus. We gave you young men a Bible. Why? Because that's the guide of your life. Listen to Jesus. Obey what he teaches you. But here Jesus is speaking in verse 14. And he's going to tell us the results of these two men's prayers. These things that these two men offered. And here he gives his assessment. And by the way, can I say this? His assessment is the only one that matters. And here's what Jesus says in verse 14. I tell you, this man, referring to the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other, that is the Pharisee. Why, Jesus? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, the man who was justified that day was the tax collector. Now, who in the crowd would have guessed that? I mean, if you'd asked them before the story, you're going to have two men go up to a temple to pray. One's a Pharisee and, and one's a tax collector. Which one is God going to hear and answer? They probably would have said, everybody thinks it's the tax collector. Uh, raise your hand. Nobody raises their hand. Everybody thinks it's the Pharisee. Raise your hand. Everybody raised their hand. Who would have guessed this? The tax collector. He went home justified and the Pharisee did not. Now, here's a good question. What does it mean to be justified? Because the man prayed, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, this man went to his house justified. Well, justified is a good word, justification. It deals with our salvation. It's a legal term. And here's what it means, beloved. It means that, that, that God declares us righteous and just based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ. He sees Jesus' work, his death, burial, resurrection, the blood that was shed. He's satisfied. We turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus. And we're declared justified. We're declared righteous based upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if someone's going to be saved, if they're going to be justified, if they're going to receive the forgiveness of their sin, they have to humble themselves And come by way of the cross, trusting Jesus Christ alone. That's why we sing, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. That's why we sing, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus, the work of Jesus that makes it possible for us to be justified. For God to say, you are just, you're right, you're righteous. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus did. And so I ask you, friend, this question. You all must answer it personally. No one can answer it really for you. Are you justified? Are you justified? Has there been a time in your life where you've humbled yourself? Recognizing that you are a sinner. You are undone. You are helpless and hopeless and destined for a horrible place called hell. But you realize that Jesus Christ died for you. Shed his precious blood for you. Rose again for you. And you repented of your sin. You said, I don't want my sin anymore. And you turned to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, have you done that? Have you done that? Are you justified today? If not, why don't you do that today? Why don't you cry out for mercy today? 
The Bible says clearly that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus Christ died for you. Come to him today. Now, listen to what else Jesus says here, because he's not done speaking. He says, for everyone who exalts himself. Will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Jesus shares a principle here that we all need to grasp. And here it is in God's kingdom. The way up is down. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. He says there, everyone who exalts himself, I'm somebody, they'll be humbled. But everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. Do we not even see that in the life of the Lord Jesus himself? He's God. He's glorious. He's exalted for all eternity. Yet he humbles himself and robes himself in flesh. And he humbles himself and voluntarily lays down his life from the cross and dies. And then he rises victorious, glorious, King of kings and Lord of lords. He humbled himself. He is now forever exalted. Jot down these verses, James 4, 6. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Aren't you glad about that? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, listen, James 4, 6, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That's pretty powerful. The Bible says that God resists the proud. If you're proud, if you're exalted, you build yourself up, God resists you. But you know what it says there? If you'll humble yourself, he gives grace. And I don't know about you, but I need God's grace every single day. Of my life. I need God's grace. Jot down this reference. First Peter 5, 5. First Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you younger people submit yourselves to your elders. There's authority there. Then he says, yes, all of you be submissive to one another. Take the lower spot and be. Listen to this. Clothed with humility. You didn't know that the Bible gave fashion advice, did you? Here it is. Clothe yourself with humility. Why? Because it says this. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so we need to learn this principle. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. Exalt yourself, you'll be humbled. Humble yourself, you'll be exalted. Which brings us to our points to ponder. I've given you points to ponder each and every message in this series. Why? Because I don't want you to just come and sit for 20 or 30 minutes and listen to the message. Say, well, yeah, that was that was great. Amen. And go out of here. I want to give you some things to think about, some things to ponder, some things to chew on. Like old Bessie the cow, she chews the cud. I want you to bring it up and chew the cud this week. Some points to ponder. Number one is simply this. Have you prayed the tax collector's prayer? Have you prayed a prayer like the tax collector? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. God, please save me. Don't have to be the exact words, but the heart is there where you humble yourself and you cry out for forgiveness. You give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, that's the starting point. 
And if you get nothing else from today's message, I pray you'll get this. You need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I encourage you and I exhort you and I plead with you today to humble yourself, turn from your sin, and give your life to Jesus Christ. And he'll gladly receive you and cleanse you and forgive you and make you a daughter or son of God and give you peace and give you joy and give you a glorious home in heaven. The second point to ponder. Now, let's be honest. Don't answer out loud. All of us need to think about this. Do your prayers sound like the Pharisees or the tax collectors? Think about your prayer life for a moment. Is it filled with humility? Is it filled with a recognition that he is God and you're not? Or is it more like the Pharisees? God, I thank you that I'm so wonderful. I thank you that I'm so great. What is your prayer life like? Why? Because what does God say? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Perhaps one of the reasons our prayers are not answered at times is because we've not humbled ourselves and we've not really laid ourselves before the Lord and prayed with a heart of humility. And then thirdly, and finally is this. And I've been thinking about this one. Are you still amazed by God's grace? Or have you forgotten how you really were? Are you still amazed by God's grace or have you forgotten how you really were? You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, don't we realize, don't we remember who we were before Jesus saved us? For those of us who know him. We were at enmity with God. We were enemies of God. We were destined for hell. We were wretched and vile, miserable, hopeless and helpless. And it's only because of God's amazing grace that we stand redeemed and justified and righteous in Christ and destined for glory. It's only by his grace that was there anything good in our life. It's only by his grace there's any growth in our life, any fruit in our life, anything that brings honor and glory to God. It's only by his grace. And God forbid that we should ever get used to that. God forbid that we should ever forget his amazing grace. We should marvel at it. We should revel in it. We should praise God for it. Because we'd be lost and hopeless without it. And so I ask you as we close today, are you still amazed by God's glorious grace? If not, that would be the place to start, would it not? Say, God, forgive me. And open my eyes and help me to remember just how gracious and grace-filled you are. Father, we are so grateful today for your grace. We know that of ourselves there's none good, none righteous, no, not one. Everything that's good, everything that's great in our lives is all because of your grace. We don't deserve it. We can't purchase it. We can't buy it. We can't barter for it. All we can do is humble ourselves and receive the glorious gift of your grace. And I pray this morning that if anybody here has never received the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, I pray that in these closing moments, 
that you would draw them to yourself, that they would place their faith in Christ, in Christ alone. And then, Father, for those of us who know you, we praise you for that. We thank you for that. We know it's only because of your grace. Help us to examine our prayer life and see who do we sound like, the Pharisee or the tax collector. And then, Lord, examine our heart and help us to be honest today to see if we still are amazed by your grace. So bless this time, bless this invitation for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We want to sing that song, Amazing Grace, in closing today. It's 330. If you'd like to find it in your hymn book, or maybe some are going to sing it from memory. But the invitation, I hope, is clear today. It's twofold. Number one, you need to be saved today. I'll be down here at the front. I'd love to welcome you and share Christ with you and help you to be led to the cross. And we would love to do that. So what will you do, preacher? We'll just welcome you and we'll lead you to the cross. We're not here to embarrass you. We're not here to call you out. We're here to help you. And that's God's desire for you to be saved. We'd love to help you with that today. And then secondly, for those who know Christ, maybe God has touched something in your heart today. Maybe concerning your prayer life. Maybe concerning maybe coldness and difference or just kind of used to God's grace. Maybe you'd like to come today on the altar and pray and do business with God. The altar is open. We invite you to come. 330 Amazing Grace. Let's stand and sing. Thank you.